Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to another episode of World Championship Boxing. And this is Logan Time Traveler, and I am joined today by the one and only One Silva. How you doing, man? Hey, good afternoon, Logan. And uh, we should be joined shortly by Renation, Mark Wren, and uh, we're going to be talking the second part of Muhammad Ali's illustrious career, The Life and Times of Muhammad Ali. And, uh, you know, we just got off a damn good Frazier retrospective, and, of course, it tied in very uh, well with the whole Muhammad Ali discussion. In fact, we we talked a lot of Muhammad Ali in the last show, but we, it was a tribute to... Uh, Frazier, but that's no surprise. That that's just the way Joe Frazier's career has gone, even in death. You cannot talk about Joe Frazier without talking about Muhammad Ali. That just that's just the way Frazier's career went. Um, I I saw clips of the funeral. It looked like a beautiful affair. I mean, they they did a great uh, service and tribute to the great Joe Frazier. And um, Logan, that Joe Frazier show we did last week, I think it's the best show we've done so far. Yeah, man. It's definitely something to top. Uh, if we can do it today, that'd be good. But, you know, it certainly won't be surprised if we can't because uh, I think we we were both feeling the emotion of losing such a great guy, you know, like a, a great man from the boxing world. Um, in many ways, like, had more had ad- qualities somewhat more admirable than even Muhammad Ali had. I mean, just if you want to talk about it as a person, you know. Yeah. Well, you have you make a good point there, Logan. If you want to talk about the uh, what you call a great American, Joe Frazier was a great American. You know, he he yeah. um, he faced adversity, racism as a child. He overcame um, he overcame his size because he was a small heavyweight, and he was a hard he was a hardworking man. Everything he was like your your average construction worker. He went above and beyond his skill level. As we talked about his last fight, he was a great fighter, but he fought above his skill level, and you had to in order to have defeated Muhammad Ali. Remember, he only lost two guys, George Foreman and Muhammad Ali, two of the all-time greats. Everybody else he destroyed. So I mean, he had Admiral Trey. He was hard. He gave a hundred and ten percent every time he came in the ring. Absolutely, and we have Mark Wren on the line. What's up, man? How's it going, dude? Uh, he's just pulling hey, his pants Mark. up. Uh, hey, hey, one silver. How's it going, man? All right, partner. And good, I understand, good. man. You just got off that chick, you know, but you got to calm down now, man. We're going to talk about some boxing, all right? <laughs> Hyped. Hyped. All right. Okay. Now, now, uh, we uh, we did the Frazier. Is there anything you want to say about Frazier before we go on to the Norton fights? Uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Mark Rand. I want to hear Mark Rand's thoughts on the two, uh, the the Ali Frazier March eighth, nineteen seventy one fight of the century, and uh, Thriller Manila. We spoke in depth last week, but I really want to hear Mark Rand's thoughts on those two fights. Yeah, um, um, yeah, I listened to the show last week. Sorry, I couldn't I couldn't make it. Um, yeah, the, the first fight, um, uh, I, th- I think you just had. Uh, I think Frazier Frazier deserved the decision. I mean, the the uh, the, the knockdown was was uh, crucial. I don't if he hadn't knocked if Frazier hadn't knocked uh, Ali down, I think it may have been may have been a draw. And uh, obviously, no, the, the, it wouldn't have been no. a draw. 
Spock ran. It wouldn't have been a draw. Going into the last round, uh, one judge had it eight rounds to six, Frazier. Referee Arthur McCanty had it seven rounds to six, one round even for Frazier. And another referee, I mean, another judge who must have been smoking something that night had Frazier up ten rounds to four. So Frazier yeah. had already the fight. On my scorecard, I had it dead even going into the 15th round. And yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's that, yeah. on my scorecard. If it, you know, when I was analysing the fight, you know, if if going going into that that uh, the the fifteenth and final round, um, I had it, I had it same as you. You know, uh, it's up for grabs. Whoever takes this last round takes the fight. But there was a lot of hard rounds to score in that fight. Very, I mean, oh, yeah. as Logan and I were talking about last week, Ali outlanded Frazier, but Frazier landed the harder punches. So some rounds, Ali started out fast. And then Frazier would hurt him, and you're like, damn, who do I give that round to? Yeah, that's right. How you score fights. But you and I saw it the same way, and that, that knockdown clinched it. And, and, and it, was, it, was, it was the best way to do it. Yeah. And obviously, well, just talking after- about – yes, uh, sorry, uh, just, just wanted to final, uh, finalize on the um, thriller from Manila. Um, that was – that's probably one of the most um, exhausting experiences you'll get – just watching the television, you can you can just feel that you can just feel the tiredness in in both these incredible athletes. Just this this fight is just it's a war of attrition. It's just you know, and obviously and 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 Frazier's uh, a, a corner um you know called the fight, but you know Ali's corner were kind of prepared to do the same almost at the same time. It's just that Frazier's you know corner kind of beat him to it. I mean it was just. I mean, you can when you see the footage, you know the, the referee's waving the waving the fight off, and literally two seconds after he's uh, he's called the fight off, Ali just collapses in the ring. Yeah, we talked about that last week, Mark. Unbelievable! Rangley. Unbelievable! Uh, and the, the thing about that fight, and after the eleventh round, Ali told Angelo Dundee he felt like he was dying. That looked like a near-death experience. I just you'll never see a more brutal fight. Probably, I think. Oh, the three of us would agree that's probably the greatest fight in boxing history. Just the, the emotion, it was drama, it was everything. And Mark Wren, the 13th and 14th round, can you believe the insane amount of punishment Joe Frazier took without going down? He, he, he literally just couldn't see. He just kept coming forward. He just kept coming forward, coming forward, just getting and Ali, Ali just just picking him off, but he just kept coming back for more. I mean, the guy's <laughs> got got the biggest heart ever. Unbelievable. I, Oh, my God. And Ali is hitting him with everything. And um, Logan made a great point last week about even at the age of 33, Ali's hand speed in this fight was ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was just – he was putting together combinations that you've – I've never seen any fighter put it together like that. I mean, it's just crazy. And he's just – his footwork and everything together, he was like a machine of just trying to lay punishment on him. Uh, you know, uh, not since Apollo Creed in Rocky II have we seen such beating. Uh, but uh, but no doubt that fight in Rocky II was kind of based on the Frazier. No, uh, no, 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 no. no. The, uh, Apollo Creed of uh, Rocky Balboa was based on Chuck Webner versus Ali. One, maybe we could discuss that, being that that's during this time frame. That you you might have a point about Rocky II, maybe, maybe. Because of the brutality, Rocky too. That was a brutal fight, and the only yeah. thing close to ever having it the heavyweight division was the Ali Frazier Thriller Manila. So you might have a point there, but 
Uh, yeah, Rocky one. Rocky one is 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 the uh, what you're saying, but Chuck no. Webb or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rocky two might be Ali for you, Thriller Manila, because each one of Rocky move, each one of the Rocky movies. I'm gonna quickly talk about this. Each one of the Rocky movies, Sylvester Stallone based it on true events in boxing history. You could say Rocky one was Ali Webner. Rocky two might have been the Thriller Manila. Rocky three was definitely Floyd Patterson versus Sonny Liston. Rocky Four, wait a minute. Um, I don't even think Rocky Four was based on the whole Russian thing. There was no Russian fighter, so you could throw that out the window. Uh, no, it was all about Vladimir Klitschko, who they were, you know, so they knew he was coming. But, but no, yet. <laughs> they foreshadowed him, man. They foreshadowed him. Rocky Five uh, it was the typical boxer. Wealthy boxer loses everything, and he's living out of the basement in the dump, and he has to make yeah, a comeback. And Rocky Six yeah, was, was based, and Rocky Six was based on George Foreman winning the heavyweight title at the age of forty-five. So yeah, each Rocky movie was based on something that actually happened in boxing, except Rocky Four. Rocky Four was the whole Reagan versus the United versus the USSR. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but uh, but enough about. Um, um, fake boxing. <laughs> Let's talk about this. Uh, these fights come, that we're about to talk about: Ali Norton, Ali Norton two, uh, Norton, who I basically think he is Rocky Johnson. He just they yeah, they look basically identical, but I guess he's a better fighter. Hey Logan, Ken Norton was the first fighter that was built like a professional wrestler. Do you did you see Mark Ren? You see Ken Norton's physique? His physique no, he, his career? I mean, he, he he may well have, he may well have had the best physique in 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 the history of heavyweight boxing. I mean, the guy was just put together. Chiseled, and um, anybody that ever saw the movie Mandingo, yeah, he was chiseled. Now, now, Ken Norton, uh, this guy, he just kind of bursts on the scene, huh? I mean, what's his what what is what did he do leading up to these fights? All right, I'll give you a brief history of Ken Norton's early career. Ken Norton didn't start boxing until he was in the United States Marines. Ken Norton was a track and field star, a football star, and basketball star in um, his hometown in Illinois. As a matter of fact, there is a there's there's a, a a legend has it that he was such a great athlete in high school that they that the city that he grew up in instituted a rule, a rule that no high school athlete could participate in more than three sports. He was a track and field star. He was a basketball star. He was a football star. He was just a great athlete. After graduating from high school, he enlisted into the United States Marines, where he started taking up boxing. He didn't turn professional till the very, very old age for boxing at the age of 24. He won his first 16 fights before losing to a heavyweight named Jose Luis Garcia. Garcia knocked him out. Norton revenged the loss, and then he slowly climbed his way up to the ratings. He was the number nine rated contender in the world when he fought Muhammad Ali, March 31st, 1973. Now, how do you think uh, Norton would have fared against, like, a prime Frazier? Well, the thing is, Frazier would have knocked him out. Ken Norton, if you follow Ken Norton's career, if you look at his career, whenever he fought a bone-crushing Slugger, George Foreman, Ernie Shavers, Jerry Cooney. 
is not that great. He got knocked out. Joe Frazier would have knocked him out. The reason Ken Norton and Joe Frazier never fought was because they were close as brothers could be that were not related. They were very, very close. They were trained by the same man, the legendary Eddie Futch that Mark Wren brought up in the first Ali show. And they were tight. They were very tight. They were very tight. And they vowed never to fight each other. And they never did. Well, that's funny because, you know, let's talk about this first fight here. Uh, I mean, basically, Ali, man, like, I feel like he just gets pummeled. Well, there's a reason for that. I gave, did you watch the first uh, Ali Norton fight? Uh, Yeah. How did you have it scored? I had it eight rounds to four for for, uh, Norton. Uh, Yeah, I I may have have gone seven-five. Okay, there was a couple of rounds that could have gone either way, but Logan, the reason Ali fought so so he fought he was very lethargic in this fight. If you, yeah. you two might agree with that, he was very lethargic in this fight. He took Ken Norton lightly. First of all, Ali was frustrated after losing to Joe Frazier in March of '71. Ali was the number one contender for the next two years. Won his next nine straight fights. He fought all over the world. No heavyweight traveled the world more than Muhammad Ali. He fought in Ireland. He fought in Japan. He fought in Germany. In the next two years, he traveled the world. He, he was like the people's a, champ. He, said he could not get a shot at Joe Frazier. Joe Frazier lost the title two months prior to this in January of 73 to George Foreman. And I think this was leading up until Ali fight Norton. And I felt Ali took Norton lightly, and he was still frustrated at the fact that Frazier lost, the rematch was off the window, and now he's going to have to wait to fight George Foreman. Also, in the second round of this fight, at the very top of the second round, if you remember, Ken Norton lands a hellacious left hook that breaks Ali's jaw. And for the next ten rounds, he has to fight with a broken jaw. Okay, so that's what, yeah, I mean, I, I could tell that there was definitely, you know, I don't usually watch it with the announcers. I don't know if they knew it, but I guess they wouldn't have known it either. Um it until after the fight, and they showed the clip. If you watch at the very beginning, the first 20 seconds of the second round, Norton bounces a left hook right off Ali's jaw. Now, Ali didn't buckle. Ali had a great chin. Ali didn't buckle. But you could tell as that round continued and the fight continued, Ali was not the same. His jab was short. Ken Norton out-jabbed Ali throughout this entire fight. No one had ever out-jabbed Ali. He out-jabbed Ali in this fight. Ali... Stayed in the middle of the ring for most of the fight. Funny, the times that Ali moved, he dominated the fight. But he only moved, he only danced in round three, round eight, round ten, and round eleven. All the other rounds, he stood in the middle of the ring and he was outboxed and out hustled by Ken Norton. Yeah, Norton. I mean, and it's weird because Norton doesn't have a very uh, pleasing style. I mean, to the eye. I mean, not the way like Muhammad Ali does, but it's like very effective and he's very accurate. You know, and, well, Ken Norton always gave boxers hell. If you ever get a chance, and I'm sure Mark Renner see the fight when when um, Larry Holmes beat Ken Norton, that was a hell of a fight. He had Ken Norton had the type of style that if you were a mover, it was hard to hit him. Now, if he was slugged and you were coming at him, it was a different story because Ken Norton didn't fight well backing up, but he fought well coming at you, and he had that he held he held his hands up high. It was hard to, it was hard to hit him if you were a boxer. Yeah. So basically, he fought, he fought well against defensive fighters. Yes, yes. Defensive-minded fighters with jabs like Larry, 
Larry Holmes, Muhammad Ali, Jimmy Young, Ken Norton gave them hell. Gave them hell. And all three, those guys' toughest fights were against Ken Norton. Now, now did he ever get a shot at, um, at Foreman? Oh, it was a massacre. George Foreman destroyed Ken Norton. After, the, after he lost to Ali in the second fight, because this mm-hmm. fight, in March of 73, um, Ken Norton wins a split decision over Muhammad Ali. They fight six months later in September of 73, a great fight. That was a tremendous fight. Ali wins a unanimous decision. But instead of Ali getting the title shot, Ken Norton gets the title shot against George Foreman, and George Foreman destroys him in two rounds. Matter of fact, when you get to see the fight, before the bell rings, you see the look of the, the look of fear, of the fear of God in Ken Norton's eyes before the fight starts. George Foreman gets destroyed. Yeah, another there you reason, go. That, that, yeah, that was incredible. Had no, Ali had no shot against Foreman because the two guys Ali lost to, Frazier and Norton, Foreman destroyed. Yeah, I think I think it's in, I think it's interesting to note that you know we, we look at Foreman now and he's this big smiling kind of guy that kind of looks like a you know, kind of looks like a big kind of Buddha type guy. But you know, back in his prime in the in the early seventies, this guy was just you know he was intimidating as as Tyson in his prime. You 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 set you set foot in the ring and you look across the ring at this guy that's like six four six five, and he's just he's just huge and he was just. He was just destroying people. That's why no one gave Ali a, ch- a chance, and uh, we, we soon know what uh, what happened there. But you know, Foreman is just you know um, unbelievable um, physical specimen, and, and, and Norton as well. I mean, these these two guys like were like uh, you know the equivalent of kind of modern day gladiators going at each other, and, and, and Foreman just Foreman just set him up. It was no contest from the beginning, and you make a great point, Mark Ren, about George Foreman. George Foreman was six foot five, and his afro—he had a big afro—made him look more like six 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 seven. He had the mustache. He had the menacing. He had a menace to him, and his idol was Sonny Liston. He patterned his career after Sonny Liston. After George Foreman won the 1968 gold medal in Mexico City for the United States, he spent time with Sonny Liston. When he came back from Mexico, he loved Sonny Liston. Sonny Liston was his idol, and he always talked about that. And he based his career and he based his style on Sonny Liston. And if you look at Foreman and Liston, it was very similar. They both had great left jabs. They both had bricks in both hands. The only difference between Liston and Foreman was Foreman was a much bigger fighter and a bigger puncher. There was no heavyweight in the history of the planet that had power in both hands equal to George Foreman. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, and that just shows you, I mean, nothing illustrates more that styles make fights than the combinations, you know, that the different trouble that people have had in the heavyweight division with different people. Um, back, I'm, I'm, back then. I mean, people, 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 obviously people rightly talk about the, the Ali Frazier trilogy of fights, but, you know, uh, kind of lost in amongst all, all the talk about that, you know, should really be the, you know, this should also be mentioned is the Ali Norton trilogy of fights because just like the Ali Frazier fights, all three fights um, uh, could have gone either way in, in, in any of those bouts. I mean, um, especially the uh, uh, the uh, Ali Norton um, uh, fights where, you know, the, the first fight was like split decision and, 
and then uh, Ali won the rematch, which was also a split decision. And, and the, the third fight was um, was uh, Ali got the decision, but that was you know that that was close, and it could have gone either way. I mean, very very tough fights to judge. The third fight, Mark Ren, you make another great point. The third fight was even on two scorecards, and Ali was up by one going into the 15th round. Ken Norton swore, and he said this afterwards, he swore he had the fight in a bag. And he did not, in the 15th round, he let Ali do whatever he wanted to. Ali danced, jabbed, and he out-hustled Norton in the 15th round, and he won a unanimous decision, eight rounds to seven, eight rounds to seven, eight rounds to six, one round even, because Norton did not go out in the 15th round and close the show. Ali was one of the great finishers in boxing history as far as the 15th round. If I can win this 15th round, if, if, if it's close, I get the fight. And that's what Ali did in the second fight and the third fight. Yeah. He, think, and he finished, finished strong, yeah. I think uh, Ali had had such a such a time in that in that third fight that I think he actually he actually kind of uh, actually kind of momentarily retired after the um, after the, the third Norton fight because that was in '76 and I think that was at Yankee Stadium, New York. So um, and I think Ali got such a kind of a, a wake up call. It's like oh, I, can't, I can't keep doing this and you know and, and decided to retire. And of course he came back the <clears throat> the following year and fought Shavers. Um, but we'll we'll uh, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, yes, he did retire after the on um, Norton third fight, and then I think early in '77 he decided to come back because um his pride. I think it was his pride. He should have retired, Mark Rain. He should have retired after that third Norton fight. It should have been the wake up call. But you know, Bob Aaron, Don King kept throwing money at him, and he and he came back. And unfortunately, you see the result today. Yeah. Oh, and and so, what's the deal? With, what happened with Norton? Okay, I, I could give you quick. All right, after the after after Ali and Norton fought their first two fights in '73, he got a title shot early '74 against George Foreman. He was obliterated in two rounds. Nope, he didn't land a significant punch in those two rounds. He just got steamrolled. Okay, then he worked his way back into the into the heavyweight title picture. He beat Jerry Quarry, who was always like a stepping stone to the heavyweight title back then. And then he finally got his shot at Ali again in 76, which he lost, a razor-thin decision. And then after losing to Ali, he fought Jimmy Young the, the next year, and he beat Jimmy Young in a tremendous 15-round war. That fight could have gone either way. After Ali beat um, Leon Spinks, which we'll talk about in this fight, in, in this show, after Ali, I'm sorry, after Ali lost to Leon Spinks in February 78, Leon Spinks was ordered to fight Ken Norton by the WBC. Leon Spinks refused because there was more money to be made in a rematch with Ali. Plus, he figured, I beat Ali once, I could beat an old Ali twice. No one thought Leon Spinks had a chance against Ken Norton. So the WBC stripped Leon Spinks of the WBC title and awarded it to Ken Norton. Ken Norton didn't even... Didn't even have to fight for it. They gave it to Ken Norton. And Ken Norton, in his first defense against Larry Holmes, June 9, 1978, a fight that we will talk about later as one of the greatest fights of all time, one of the greatest heavyweight fights of all time, one of the greatest fights of all time, lost a, a razor-thin split decision to Larry Holmes, June of 78, lost the title. 
the following May, he got knocked out in one round by Ernie Chavis. Two years later, he got knocked out in one round by Jerry Cooney, retired. In 1986, was in a near-fatal car accident, which he was paralyzed from the neck down. Two years later, he miraculously worked his way back to walking. But his speech has been impaired ever since, and he's being taken care of by his legendary football son, Ken Norton Jr. There you go. And and now, um, is there anything you guys want to say about these fights? Uh, like, what do you what did you get out of them in terms of like Muhammad Ali? Like, what did we learn about Muhammad Ali from these fights? Well, I, I let Mark Red talk first, and then I'll, I'll I'll piggyback on whatever he has to say. Well, I, I think um, I think uh, the Norton fight where where uh, Ali broke his uh, jaw early in the fight, you know, proved that that you know Ali was more was more than just. Uh, a, a talk, you know, he, he had he had such heart. I mean, the, the guy fought with a broken jaw for, for you know, ninety eight percent of that that fight. I mean, I think a lot of people thought he was kind of a, you know, a flashy, flashy, uh, jabby kind of boxer, and you know, he's, he had the talk and the charisma outside the ring. But you know, you, you see these fights and of of Ali's in in the decade of the seventies. Um, all right, you, you may perceive him as as uh, as foolhardy in 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 a lot of them, and some of the fights maybe you shouldn't have taken. But you know, you see the wars that he had with with uh, <coughs> Frazier and Norton, and 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 the, and the beating that he took from from Foreman, uh, yet yet actually went on to win the fight. Um, you know, it kind kind of turned the, the pub. You know, because Ali was kind of a. Uh, you know, not liked for for a lot of the uh, time of his career, but from the late sixties into the seventies, the public perception of him turned around, and he became you know beloved, which is you know w- what he is now. I mean, Ali just showed his heart and his character and and the conviction of his uh, of his belief, and um, and that's carried him forward to his iconic status that he um, that he enjoys now. Yeah. Um, he definitely um, turned face <laughs> in that period. Uh, do do we? Uh, but I mean, in terms of like uh, his standing as a box as the best boxer of all time. I mean, given that, like you know, people don't seem to kind of remember the fact that Muhammad Ali like lost as many times as he did. Um, and well, I guess it's, I wouldn't ahead. count his. Two losses, the Larry Holmes. He had no business in the ring. If you want to talk about Ali when he was credible, when he was the greatest, he lost two times. Because even when he fought Leon Spinks and lost the first time, he had no business being in the ring. The two losses Muhammad Ali had that you can really count, Joe Frazier and Ken Norton, he won in those both in both of those fights for one reason. In the first fight against Frazier, he took a hellacious beating. He got knocked down in the 15th round. He's exhausted. He got back up. He got back up before before the referee even started counting, okay? And then in the last 30 seconds of the fight, he's hammering Frazier. He he won the last 30 seconds of that round. Yeah. When the fight ended, he lost the fight. But he won in terms of everybody saw now that he could take a punch and he, he had the heart of a champion. And in his first fight with Norton, he got his jaw broken in the second round. He fought, like Mark Rand said, 98% of the fight with a broken jaw, and yet one of the he fought a young, hungry heavyweight who was looking to kill Ali, and he lasted the entire 12 rounds and came close to almost winning the fight, fighting 10 rounds with a broken jaw. The two losses in Ali's career in his, when he was at his peak, 
he actually won in the public's in the public's mind because of the way he fought and in law and while while he lost those fights, he won in the people's hearts. Yeah, and he and he also went on to avenge those losses. So uh, That's he, he exactly. Yeah, he never, now he but so but, where. where Sorry, where, where, are, where are we now? You know, where are we now in, in the timeline of his career? Are we are we approaching? Are we are we at the Rumble in the Jungle stage? Are we are we approaching that? Are we going to get into that? Let, let's get to oh, that right we, now. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. We should, we should. Yeah. yeah, let's go into that because there's a lot of weirdness behind that one, and of course that derailed um, Foreman's career uh, for a long time. So uh, why don't we talk about how this this fight finally came about? Uh, who, you know, because I actually just looked at this fight with Norton and uh, and Foreman, and I saw that Ali was in the crowd, you know, taunting whoever, uh, the fight, both well, of them, basically. You know, talk about great build-ups. Boxing doesn't do this anymore except with the 24-7, whenever Floyd Mayweather's on. Muhammad Ali was the color commentator for the Frazier, for the Foreman-Norton fight. He was the color commentator on the, on the closed circuit. When the fight ended, Ali got into the ring, and he began talking, and he gave a great promo, talking about he can't wait to fight Foreman. He was already building He was already building the fact that they were going to fight in Africa. He said, we're going to fight in Africa, and I'm going to hang out with the Lamumu brothers, and I'm, after I knock you out, I'm going to cook your head. It was a great promo. You got you to listen to what he says after the fight's over. He begins to build the anticipation for the Foreman-Ali fight. It was originally scheduled to take place in September of 74, but um, Foreman suffered a cut, and the fight was delayed six weeks to October 29, 1974. Not even Howard Cosell, Muhammad Ali's close and personal friend, thought Ali had a shot in this fight. Ali was like a five- or six-to-one underdog. Foreman had destroyed everybody in his path, and everybody thought that Ali was going to take a beating and it would be the final call in his career. That's what everybody thought would happen to Junior Dos Santos, but it didn't happen. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I know what you're saying. I mean, that's, it, it was it, – people were, like, scared for Ali. They were like, this guy's – yes. he's an idiot. He was 32 years old. Foreman was 24. Ali had shown, some, had shown weaknesses in both his fights with Norton and Frazier, and they figured, well, if Norton and Frazier cut Ali, what's Foreman going to do when he hits Ali? Yeah, and also I think that like he he did a great job, like kind of like Ric Flair, you know, of building up his opponent and making it seem like you know it's impossible, but then doing the impossible. You know, he he did well, a great it, job it, of that. It wasn't him. Foreman had a lot to do with it by his destruction of of for, of Frazier and Norton. It was it was it wasn't just if Ali would have stayed quiet, it would have been the same thing. Foreman would have been a huge, huge favorite, one way or the other. The reason the fight well, was huge, yeah, but, biggest yeah, payday. Yeah, but he made it huge. What you were saying, Logan? Well, I'm just saying, like, he sold it. Like, he was even saying, like, people are saying that he killed yes. Frazier, that he did all this. So, I mean, he was he hyping it, too, yes. you know? He knew yes. what he had. Let's yeah. go like yeah, that. Yeah, he knew, and he, and he helped build it more. Yeah, because he would, one promo he said a couple of, we, a couple of weeks before the fight, was, and it's funny, it happened almost 10 years to the date that he beat Sonny Liston. 
But 10 years ago, you didn't get – I shocked him when I beat Sonny Liston. 10 years later, almost to the date, I'm going to do the same thing with a younger, stronger version of Sonny Liston, George Foreman. <laughs> now, what did, now, Frazier was on the scene of the fight, and what was his – who did he predict would win this fight? Oh, everybody Everybody in the boxing world was predicting Foreman. Norton was a color commentator for this fight. He predicted Foreman was going to destroy Ali. Frazier predicted Foreman was going to destroy Ali. Howell Cosell predicted. Bert Sugar predicted. All the big experts at the time predicted Foreman was going to win. If you do a, a search, I don't know if anybody other than the Ali's camp thought Ali had a shot at winning this fight. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I, I think I think it's interesting to note some of the some of the um, some of the outside um, events that were you know surrounding that, that were surrounding this fight. Um, I'm pretty sure from 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 what I've seen of documentaries and, and reading things that this was this was pretty much Don King's first you know real big vent, venture as a, as, as, a, as a promoter. Um, you know this was his, this was his first you know real high profile um, effort as a boxing promoter. Um, I mean, we were talking, and we've been mentioned on the show before about these were the days where, you know, a world champion meant that, you know, they really, really were a world champion, and they didn't just fight in Vegas or or the Garden. You know, they were fighting in in uh, <clears throat> in Germany and and uh, <clears throat> and uh, all around the world. And uh, obviously, this this uh, rumbling jungle took place in uh, uh, Kinshasa, Zaire, which is uh, well, it's no longer called Zaire. I think it's called the uh, the Congo. Uh, yeah, Congo. Yeah, that's right, the Congo. Yeah, and um, you know, so you, you had you know uh, different people you know putting in bids to to uh, promote the fight, and um, I think the, the the kind of the the president or the dictator of Zaire at the time you know kind of wanted to do a bit of a kind of a PR stunt um, and kind of put up the money to um, to, uh, to to promote the to, to stage this um, this fight. And um, the whole, I mean, the whole thing is obviously is covered in 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 two two great um, media um, uh, things to 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 watch. One is the uh, one is the movie documentary uh, When We Were Kings, and the other is the uh, Norman Mailer book uh, <clears throat> called The Fight, um, which depicted all the um, events um, around the uh, the fight. And it's also interesting to note that um, kind of preceding the fight, there was kind of like a two or three day uh long music festival you know and it had the likes of James Brown and 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 BB King and Bill Withers all all uh, all performing i mean this was a real high profile deal for for um for not just Zaire but for the you know for the continent of Africa and and the continent of Africa really um gravitated i mean uh, um Ali and Foreman both you know they didn't just Train in America and fly fly in, you know, a week before the fight. You know that they 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 were there months before this uh, this fight, training in in Zaire, and you see all this footage in in the When We Were Kings movie, and and Ali's you know going out for his road runs, and he's just having hundreds of of of, of, of kids, you know, uh, people just you know following him as he's doing his road work. You know, it's sort of you know shades of uh, you know Rocky Balboa. Um, yeah. Well, you see this big elaborate production. Yeah, I mean, you see this big elaborate kind of setup and everything, and it's, I mean, to me, it looks like, um, I mean, you you can't not start thinking to yourself, okay, what if this just had been a regular fight, you know, in America, you know, just sort of hype, not really crazy hype, but if it was just, 
a fight, chances are Muhammad Ali would have lost. But I think on some level, like, he created this atmosphere that almost psyched out Foreman. Yeah, that's right. What you and Mark stated, what you and Mark Ryan, first of all, Mark Ryan, you did an excellent job of the backdrop of of the festival and and Don King getting the right. It was Mobutu, if I'm not mistaken, that gave Don King $10 million to host the fight. Yeah, Mobutu, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Mobutu. And it was Don King's. It wasn't his first. It was his second. He had he had um, he had promoted the Jamaica the Jamaica fight between um, Frazier and Foreman. This was yeah, his yeah, second. Right, yeah, yeah. This was his second. But this was the biggest fight of his promotion career. And this, this really was, put him on the map. Yeah. This was the fight that made him the number one promoter for over twenty years after this. So yes, and he got the money from Mobutu. He got James Brown through the help of Lloyd Price, legendary R and B singer. Floyd Price, who was friends with Ali, James Brown, Bill Withers, the Pointer Sisters, they all performed at a two-day festival, which happened in September. It was supposed to happen the day after the original date of the fight. When the fight was delayed, they went on with the concert, and then six weeks later they had the makeup date for the fight. Logan, you make a great point about the hype. George Foreman in his autobiography stated that the moment overcame him. He was not ready to be on such a stage. Ali was used to this. Foreman had right. never seen anything like this. Also, when Foreman came to Africa, he wore a dashiki. He was figuring, oh, I'm coming to see my African brothers. They totally ignored him. They ignored him. When he when he did his public workouts, only the white media showed up. Nobody from the Af- nobody among the natives showed up. When Ali did his road works, three or four hundred kids would run with him while he was doing the road work. Everywhere it was Ali Bumbaye, Ali Bumbaye. Everywhere uh, the Ali, the, the 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 people of the Congo, they were putty in Ali's hands. He had the he had those people in his hands. It was a hundred percent for Ali as far as the people in Zaire. And that night when they fought, all you heard throughout the fight was Ali Bumbaye, and Foreman was booed out the building. And Foreman states in his autobiography he was hurt that his own people regarded him as the devil, as somebody that they wanted to see killed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, Ali came in, turned the whole country to his home country <laughs> and and made uh, the other guy the foreigner. And uh, it was great. I mean, it, it, you got to think, like, it was all part of it. He knew on some level he had to do something if he was going to win this fight. And it, he couldn't just win it straight up. Psychological you know? war. No one was better at that than Muhammad Ali. Psychological warfare. And a quick point, this wasn't the first time Ali came to Africa. After he beat Sonny Liston the first time in 64, he made a sojourn to Africa, and he went to all the different African Muslim countries. And so Ali had already been to Africa. This was Foreman's first time. Foreman thought when he came to Africa, if he wore a dashiki, they would embrace him. He didn't understand that. Kids, young kids in, in Africa were looking up to what blacks in America were wearing, and they were wearing jeans and T-shirts and sneakers. They weren't wearing dashiki. So it was like Foreman's ignorance. Ali already knew. If Ali was like, hey, Ali was Ali. Foreman was like lost in another world. Yes, great point. Great point. Well, let's talk about this first round because it was a great round. And oh, uh, it it was that first, it, uh, a great uh, Ali yes. took some – well, I just want to say that 
let's talk about how Ali fights this fight because first of all he looks much better than he has ever looked. I mean in in a lot of in a lot of fights before this one. Uh it looks like he has some new kind of fire in his eye and he's fighting very tall too. You notice that? He had like taller than him. Foreman was the se- only the second guy in Ali's career that he fought that was taller than him. And you make another good point, Logan, as far as Ali's physical condition. Two days before this fight, Ali held a press conference at the weigh-in, and he showed everybody. He, everybody was like a 32. He said, I'm 32 years old. Look at my body. Look at my shape. Do I look 32? Is there a 32-year-old man that looks like, oh, it was a great promo. Look at this. Is this the body of a 32-year-old man? First round, he starts out dancing and jabbing, but he noticed no matter how much he dances and jabs, because of Foreman's height, he can't keep Foreman off of him. Foreman beats body. Foreman hits Ali with some hellacious shots in the first round. When round one ends, Ali Ali tells Angelo Dundee in his corner, I can't move. I can't move. I can't do this for 15 rounds. That's when he adapts. And, you know, he's like, you know what? They had um, Ali and Dundee had scouted Foreman and noticed that the best way to get Foreman was to get put him into deep waters because he was used to knocking everybody in two or three rounds. He had fought in ten, a 10-round ten fight like five, six years. So Ali's plan was to get him into deep waters. But Ali realized that if he kept dancing and jabbing, he would exhaust himself with Foreman's body punching by moving. So he figured, let me stop the moving. Let me just lay up against the ropes and let Foreman punch himself out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and and that was the rope-a-dope. I mean, that's the famous yes. uh, rope-a-dope stuff. Now, is that traditionally, you know, when a fighter was up against the ropes, that meant he was toast. Uh, oh, but... Oh, he was hurt. No, Ali changed that perception. Great, great point. Yeah. The perception always was if a guy was up against the ropes for an inordinate amount of time, he was either exhausted or seriously hurt. Not in Ali's case. Ali used this, and he was the originator of this, to try and wear the other guy out. And it would work to perfection against Foreman because Foreman wasn't used to going to the fourth, the fifth, the sixth round. Ali knew if he could survive the first three or four rounds, the advantage would be his. But the thing is, he has to pay a huge price to get to the fourth, fifth round. And he was pushing, uh, what's his name, head down hard, you know, every time he could. Um, he did the fight, and, and that was a great strategy. We talked about this in the last show. And Mark Grant, you ever noticed how Ali was the innovator, and I, I wish more fighters would use this, of when he wouldn't clinch, he'd grab you behind, behind your neck and pull your, your neck down, and that would wear a fighter down as the, as the rounds progressed. Ali was the master at that. Yeah, you could you could kind of you could get away with it now. I mean, you could get away with it then. You wouldn't be able to get away with it now. You know, you do that a few times, and you'd have you start having points taken away. You know, it's holding and pushing pushing behind the neck. Yeah, Ali because of his height, because he was six three. You know, he was taller than all of his opponents apart from probably Foreman. You know, that he had that extra leverage that, that you know if he was in if he was in the clinch. You know, if he just wanted to bide some time, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd grab a hold of your neck. You know, and uh, there's not much uh, not much you can do about it, and it and sap your energy as well. Yeah, and it worked to perfection against Frazier, Foreman, and Norton. Because yeah. those guys were, were winded as the fight lasted. No one ever pushed Ali's neck down. And Ali didn't do this in the 60s. We talked about the first Ali show. 
He didn't have to because he was ten times better than anybody came in the ring with. But in the 70s, he had lost some speed, and he, was, he, he didn't move as much. So when, when, they got, when they got into those clinches, he'd bring, your, he'd bring your neck down. And it's funny, Foreman was two inches taller than him, but he was able to use that because of, he was always up against the ropes. And whenever Foreman would get near him, he'd put his neck down. And you're right, it might not work today, but nobody tries it. I wish somebody would, you know, put that as part of the repertoire. He tried yeah. to do it two or three times a fight. Well, yeah, I mean, and uh, and Foreman, and that's another thing that Ali's tactic, and Mayweather does this too, is he gets their opponent so pissed off that it's like they don't they don't fight smart, you know, and you could tell that he just wanted to kill him, you know, he wanted to kill Muhammad Ali, and he couldn't, you know, and he was getting frustrated, and he got a few shots in, but nothing crazy, you know. Hey, um, uh, Mark Grant, Logan just made a great point. I don't. Have you ever seen a heavyweight fight where a guy, every punch he threw, and every punch Foreman threw in that fight had murder on each punch? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he, he was he was laying him in. He just, he wanted a you know he wanted to knock out his block off. <laughs> but he landed some hellacious shots in this fight. That he had landed especially to the body in round two. We talked about the first round. Round two, you could hear Dundee screaming, get off the ropes, Ali! Ali, what are you doing? Get off the ropes! Dundee did not agree with this strategy, but Ali just stood there. And you notice when they're in close, Ali's whispering into Foreman's ears, you punch like a bitch. And that really bothered Foreman. And every time Ali did that, Foreman would add extra oomph to the punch, and Ali was, was, was hurting. But... Not the way he was letting Foreman on, and Ali was the great, the greatest at playing possum. Yeah, that's a good, that's or, a good point. I mean, Ali was was you know was carrying on as well as all the mind games before the fight. You know, he he was carrying on the the uh, the verbals inside the ring as well. You know, Foreman would be laying into him and and he'd saying, "I thought you could. I thought thought they told told me you could punch George. You know, come on, George, is that all you got?" You know, and yeah, Foreman yeah. would be laying into him, and that's the worst thing that, that you know that can happen. You you know you're you're getting the better. You think you're getting the better of someone, and you 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 know you're laying into him, and, and the other guy just says, "Is that it? Is that what you got? Come on, is that what you got? You know." And you're thinking, yeah. oh, "What have I got to do?" Foreman and, talks and, and, biography. Go ahead. Foreman, the more he hit Ali, the 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 more he realized this guy is Superman. There's nothing. What? There's nothing I could do, and it was wearing him down because he was. Instead of, you know, in, 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 in most fights, you don't start out like that. You know, you feel each other out, and then by the time you, 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 you notice his style, you see, you see what you could come into, and, and you look for the openings. Not in this fight. Foreman went straight at him, and the more Ali talked, the more Foreman was like, damn, I got to hit him harder. I got to hit him harder. And Foreman talked about his autobiography, how it frustrated the hell out of him. And Foreman admits by the fourth round, he's completely spent. He's completely spent. He has nothing left. And if you notice... After the fourth round, when Foreman's throwing punches while he's up against the ropes, instead of cinder blocks, then now it's like he's he's just he's just trying to connect. The yeah. full force is not behind those punches anymore. And and in the second round, Ali off the ropes, yes. nails he nails Foreman a couple times, man, like really hard. Starting um, with the round, starting with the second round, yeah. several times. Ali would bounce off the ropes and land five or six straight flush shots. And Foreman was like, 
what? 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 what, what, what where's this coming from? And he's and also like now, pushing his head. Now, you know, like boy. push, push, pushing his head, like you know, like fuck you, you, you know, you know that kind of shit where it's just like you're a dumbass, man. You got nothing, you know. Like he was just, it was great. Yeah, he was just, he was leaning in on him, leaning on him. Yeah, pushing him, pushing him down. And but you know how, like, after yeah, one of the rounds, Ali's barking at Foreman. Like, you, is that all you got? Is that all you got? That I mean, the mind games this man played in his get in, in his fight was off the charts. Yeah, he was palming him at times. You know, like palming his head, and just being like, ha, you know, it's just like, and and at the same time. Foreman is just like getting less and less effective. He just becomes just going through the motions almost of being in a fight. It's like his whole—you could see in his face that his mind was not in his body, you know. And that's exactly—you know—you you, got to do that as a fighter. You can save yourself a lot of problem if you can just get a guy out of his center, you know. As I mean, that's round, I, that's what Mayweather does. As each round progressed, yes, you're right. Foreman was still throwing a lot of punches. But he was going through the motions, and the same oomph wasn't in those punches. I mean, he was throwing them. And you know what? We go back to the pre-fight. Uh, when Ali made this prediction that he was going to knock Foreman out, he talked about how Foreman, when he throws punches, he throws wide punches. And you see Foreman, he throws punches. I mean, what? Um, Ali would get inside those wide punches and land combinations, which he did all night. And it was a great yeah. point Ali made during the pre-fight hype. It's like, Foreman told me, woof, woof. I'm going to go in and go, pat, pat. And that's what he did. He did, but he took, he. what I thought was great was that after uh, Foreman punched himself out, like almost after, in the second round, he had already basically punched himself out. No, so, in the third and fourth round, he landed some hellacious shots. By the fifth round, Foreman was completely spent. But Ali was smart. Ali laid up against the ropes, and you saw. I said, you know what? He's spent, but he's still dangerous. Let me get him completely spent before I finish him off. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, when he took those shots in the second round, they definitely weren't the same shots he took in the first round. You know, like, they. you're right, they were still hellacious, but they were like 50% because he was so frustrated and it just wasn't working out, and he'd get more tentative. And so, but, but I think that... Uh, he also, you know, people don't think, people think, oh, Muhammad Ali, like, fought this elegant fight, you know, but he got hit, and he just, and he was like, you say he, he's good at playing possum, but he was also good at playing like shit didn't hurt him when it really did, you know? Or back to what happened with the Norton fight, the first Norton fight. Yeah. Second round, early second round, Norton breaks his jaw with a left hook. You didn't know. Ali's jaw was broken. You didn't even know Ali was hurt. In this fight, right. Foreman is hitting him with, with the cinder blocks. I love that. I'm going to use that from now on. George Foreman had cinder blocks. You brought that up, Logan, last show. He had cinder blocks in both hands. Ali, right, my friend? Ali's getting hit with these cinder blocks, and you, he, Dundee knew he was, was hurting. Foreman wasn't sure, and Ali wasn't letting anybody know. Yeah, I mean, you can you can see Ali kind of look out and look out to the crowd, and he, he he's shaking his head. He's shaking his head to you know to the to the crowd, the people at ringside. You know, he, he's just like, you know, he's he's letting the crowd know, yeah, this 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 guy is uh, is catching me, but you know, he's not hurting me. Yeah, the end of the second round is really great. 
I mean, great end to the second round. I mean, Foreman starts. I mean, watching the fight, I mean, Foreman starts to tire from kind of maybe as early as as, as the third or fourth round. You you can you, you can visibly see that he's he's breathing heavy, and he's also his face is getting um, kind of uh, puffed up from the uh, from from Ali's um, you know from Ali's jab and the count that he's throwing. Ali was so in the zone, man. Ali would let Foreman uh, load up with 20 straight shots. He'd block most of them with his arms, right? And then he would bounce off the ropes and land five, six straight shots flush. Foreman's defense back then was was horrible. But you never knew that because he knocked everybody out in the second or third round. Ali would just land. And Ali, as we always say, and Mark Wren, have you ever seen a, a, a heavyweight more accurate with the combinations and their punching than Muhammad Ali. His accuracy was ridiculous in all three Frazier fights and in this fight because whenever he decided to hit Foreman, he couldn't miss. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was precision, like a, like a surgeon, absolute precision. Now, what was your favorite round in this fight? The very last get, round, the eighth round yeah, when, he, when he finished him off because when Ali knew he was gone, he put him asleep. Yeah, well, but you know, I thought you know, like where, where, where does the fight start to turn? Like, and where you start to see that this fight is like Foreman is going to get killed in this fight. The the, the fourth round, when you yeah. see, like Akron stated, Foreman is almost completely exhausted. You know that eventually Ali's winning this fight, and Foreman's not lasting. Ali already, Ali already, already survived the initial onslaught. Foreman's not getting a second win because he's in deep waters now. Once Foreman's in deep waters, Ali's used to deep waters. It's Ali's. It's just a matter of time. And Ali is waiting until Foreman is completely spent to finish yeah. him off. And, it, and, and even the, knocked, even the announcers pick up on that. Round, it's a combination of Ali with, with, with the act. I mean, he, Ali landed six straight shots. And those last two right hands, Ali could actually hit Foreman one more time. He just let him drop. It was like knocking down Frankenstein. Timber! <laughs> now, had Foreman had gotten hit this many times ever in a fight? No. 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 Yeah. He got hit he really... more times in a fight than his entire career put together. Yeah, I, I've never seen... I mean, and in a way, like, you got to get admit, Foreman has a chin, too, because he took some hellacious oh. shots himself. <laughs> Foreman proved that when he came back from his sabbatical. When he came back, when he fought at Vander Holyfield in 1991, Mark did you ever see his fight with Vander Holyfield? Holyfield hit Foreman with everything but a baseball bat, and Foreman went all 12 rounds. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, now talk about round six, because round six, I think you could say that Foreman may have won that round. Um, he was coming coming back a little bit strong, you know, maybe making a little rally. Uh what do you think? I mean, what do you think of that round? Yeah, I, th- I think Foreman probably takes a round. Probably for, from if he he works quite a lot inside, but again, it's 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 a lot of it's a lot of body shots, a lot of you know shots to the to the to the side and to to the to the kidneys. Is is not a great deal of a uh, of action in that Foreman's just kind of inside, and it looks like he's almost trying to. Uh, take a take a breather and and just work you know work on the inside work work on Ali and he and he I think he probably just takes that round. Yeah, towards the end he kind of tired out, but I mean I guess it was like that was where like Ali looked like 
he was getting beaten, but the punches had nothing behind him. So he was just kind of taunting him, doing more of his stuff. And uh, and so we're going into, like, the seventh round now. The seventh round, um, another another kind of bad round for uh, Foreman, basically. That's basically where he gets completely fucked up. But Foreman's face... <laughs> His his fucking face is rearranged, you know, and and Ali. Oh yeah, fine. he's definitely he's definitely showing the damage. I mean, even uh, even if you you were showing the fight to to someone that um and hadn't seen the fight uh, before, you you'd know that you know kind of if you'd been watching the fight that you know the tide is turning and you know that 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 Ali is is uh, is going to get him. The, you know the announcers were were, were sensing it as well. Um, I mean, Foreman's uh, forehead and and uh, and cheeks are you know are really swelling up, and uh, you know he he's vis- visibly tired. He's he's breathing heavy, and, and you know that um, if Ali doesn't um, knock him out in later rounds, then then Ali's probably going to um, probably going to dance his way to a, to a, to a points victory. And when um, you know the, the the eighth round, you know Foreman's just. He just kind of spent it. Again, he's got Ali, Ali against the ropes, and you know he's, he's not really connecting with anything. And then Ali just kind of explodes off the ropes, and you know, and gets. I think it's like there's literally four or five punches, you know, without reply. Um, uh, and then he, he hits him with a, a great left hook, which you know wasn't really one of Ali's kind of special special. Uh, uh, special punches and that kind of rocked Foreman's you know head up and then Ali just kind of got in with a with a hard kind of right cross you know right straight to the you know straight to the to the to the nose to the temple and uh, and that there was that was a blow that that caused Foreman to you know to 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 go down and you know and uh, you know he uh, he, he kind of did try and, and get up, but you know he was he was he, he was gone, and the, you know the referee counted him out. One Silva, you're back on, man. I saw you dropped off. You are you hear me? You hear me? Yeah. Hey, yeah. 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 My other phone died on me, so I'm back. Yeah. I'm, I heard the last the last two minutes. Mark great great analysis of the ending of the fight. That left hook was set up that right cross perfectly, and you said right down the middle of Foreman's face. And oh, it's beautiful. When, when, what what was interesting was Ali showed mercy. As Foreman was going down, he could have hit him another time, but he yeah. just let him fall. He just let him fall because he knew it was over. Yeah, and and yeah, he, it, you know he's so fresh in that in in the in this round too. He he almost like was playing possum in the rounds before it, where he was doing real a lot of rope a dope stuff, and he looked real tired. And then in the eighth round. He he's like looks fresh, you know. There was no heavyweight in the history of the sport that had more stamina than Muhammad Ali, and he proved it in this fight because he had to go through hell to win this fight. He, I mean, those first three rounds, he had to go through hell in order to continue. And once he survived that initial onslaught, like we stated, it was all his. And I mean, that was and the thing is, I give him credit; he got up. But the referee realized that he was spent, and the referee said, "Nah, it's it. It's over." Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Mate, it's just a, just a tremendous ending. I mean, it could it could be any movie. It could be any ending in, in a Rocky movie. It could be any 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 Hollywood ending that you that you care to mention. I mean, Ali kind of uh, goes over to his corner, and and, and Angelo Dundee, he, you know, is just beside himself. He, he's 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 so happy, and you know that you know uh, I've always watched the the, uh, the broadcast version that was that was shown in Britain, where the uh, the famous uh, boxing commentator. Um, Harry Carpenter, which was, you know, the equivalent of um, of Cassell in in America, and and uh, and Harry Carpenter is just beside himself, and it's very rare for for British uh, uh, dignified announcers to 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 really uh, lose their call. But um, Harry Carpenter is, is saying, uh, you know, uh, oh my God, he's done it, he's 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 won the title again at 32. This incredible man, Muhammad Ali, you know, and it's just. Putting it over, just uh, you know, just a, a great, a, a great call, you know, of, of, a, of a great fight, and you know, and this rumble in the jungle is, is, uh, you know, is, is arguably, you know, the most famous fight, in, you know, in the history of boxing, and and one of the most famous events in in the history of sport. Harry Carpenter was a great announcer. I have several fights on video and DVD where he calls. I mean, the. the he did a lot of Nigel Benn fights, a lot of Michael Watson fights, a lot of Chris Eubank fights. Harry Carpenter, tremendous announcer. Tremendous. Yeah, he was a great guy. He was a great guy. Just passed yeah, away in this, the last, last few years. Yes. I want to say that this is one of these fights that, you know, made boxing, put boxing really on the map um, and, and made it to, the, you know, one of the biggest sports of all time. Um, don't you think, though, that, like, I mean, has there been a bigger fight than this? I guess Tyson Holyfield, maybe, but no, Tyson Holyfield's not on that level. The big, yeah. Since that fight, you you would have to, as far as worldwide recognition, recognition, where where an entire planet was following fight, of a, a major fight, the first Leonard Durant fight may become close. The first Leonard Hearns fight, I wouldn't put Tyson Holyfield on that level. Those fights were were, were blockbusters, blockbusters. Well, yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a worldwide this is a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, in terms of obviously, like you know, money and pay per views, but obviously that wasn't a factor back then. But you know, in terms of the 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 the, the press coverage, the you know, the, the the recognition, the fact that you know, it, it wasn't just um, you know, uh, fight fans in in America kind of following the the fight. I mean, this this reached out into every kind of uh, corner of the globe and. Uh, you know, uh, I don't think uh, boxing uh, does that so much now. It's uh, predominantly, you know, the the American and, and Latin American market, and uh, and a lot of the a lot of the other parts of the world um, uh, have kind of fallen away. Yeah, yeah. Now, before we um, stop talking about this fight, um, there are there are people who claim conspiracies about this fight that. Foreman was drugged. That the ropes were loose. The ropes were uh, loose. Foreman was not drugged. If you read Foreman's autobiography, he talks. He doesn't mention anything about being drugged, and he would be the first to, to try to say that. And he never, he never, he never claimed foul, foul play on Ali's part. Now the ropes were loose, and Angelo Dundee loosened them on purpose. But Angelo Dundee didn't know that Ali was going to use the rope with them. So that too, in itself couldn't have played a part in this. No, he was outsmarted by a by a smarter, greater fighter that night. That's that's the whole reason he lost that fight. 
He was outsmarted. He was psyched out. The, mo- the, the, the moment got to him. The moment was bigger for him than it was for Ali. Ali was used to this type of thing. This was the first time Foreman was in there. And the funny thing is, 20 years later, almost to the day, he knocks out Michael Mora. It's reversed. Teddy Atlas's book, which is, is a must-read, he was Michael Mora's trainer at the time, and he felt something might happen that night because he saw that Michael Mora, this big fight, this was Michael Mora's real first big fight, was getting the better of him, and Foreman was used to it. Well, that's often when it comes down to, like, you know, if you can bring the other fighter into a higher level where they can't hang out, you know. And I feel like Brock Lesnar, you know, in a way did that to Frank Mir. Um, but, and and just, you know, there's just a way that you know, like, the bigger the stage, if you can make it a bigger stage, you'll have the the advantage. And I, I Muhammad Ali did, did that a lot, Um and so, yeah. but Logan, think, quest- think about think about your career, all right? You're a rapper. Imagine if you ever got to play in front of Madison Square Garden, if you're opening up for Kanye or somebody in front of 19,000 people. Initially, you're going to feel, wow, you, you never, initially, there's going to be some type of shock to your system, right? Yeah, man, I remember the first time I, I, I performed in, like, a dramatically bigger stage. Like, I, I fucked up. Because there you go, you there know, you go. I was not, you know, it was just like I was not prepared for the bigness of it. You know, so many fucking people. It's like, but yeah, I mean, that's what happens. Like you get if you know the first inkling is to fuck up, and of course you learn from it. But like this guy, now he this this really affected his life, maybe for the better. I mean, he stopped. Well, you, boxing. you also have to understand that. At this point in time, George Foreman was also experiencing a lot of personal problems. He was involved in a relationship with his first wife where he abused her. There was also rumors of him abusing alcohol. He led a very violent lifestyle at the time. After he lost to Ali, he didn't fight for 18 months after he lost to Ali. And when he came back, it was a, 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 a exhibition where he he was trying to knock out six people in one night, but it was a fart. It was a fart. Then he fought Ron Lyle, a, a, a fight we talked about, which he almost got knocked out in. Then he beat Joe Frazier, a washed-up Joe Frazier, after Frazier got beaten in the Bill of Manila. Then he fought Jimmy Young in San Juan, Puerto Rico, March of 1977, in which Jimmy Young boxed his ears off and knocked him down in the 12th round. It was almost an exact replica of this fight. Foreman punched himself out. Jimmy Young took advantage, and Jimmy Young was a light-hitting puncher, but he was a tremendous boxer. When the fight ended, Jimmy Young won the decision. Joe Foreman retired to his dressing room, where he claims still to this day that Jesus Christ told him in the locker room he should retire and become a minister, and that's what he did. Yeah. And then Jesus Christ came back and was like, you know what, I want to see you fight again. No, 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 uh... no. What happened was, in 1987, George Foreman at a church in Houston, Texas, hometown of Houston, Texas. And the, if, if you recall, that was during the height of the crack epidemic. And he saw a lot of young kids, 18 and under, selling drugs in the Fifth Ward where he grew up in Houston, Texas, and which he was a, a minister at. He wanted to get these kids off the street, and he felt the best way to do it was to build a community center for the kids to hang out. Unfortunately, the politicians in Houston 
didn't want to help him fund a community center. So what did George Foreman do? He knew the best way to get money was to make a comeback. And that's why. That's the major reason why he came back to boxing. He was only going to do it for a few fights to build a community center. He built the community center, but he but his passion returned, and he continued, and he fought for another 10 years after that. And he was good. I mean, but, like, he... Um... He, in a way, but I mean, to what extent did his trajectory of his career, you know, go where it did because of this fight? I mean, you know, it, it, it was a psychological beating. He, up until the time he retired, I don't think he found peace. I don't think he found peace with the loss to Ali until he fought Evander Holyfield in April of 1991, and he hurt Holyfield in that fight. And he took a beating in that fight, but he lasted all 12 rounds. And the public, and his interview after the fight, no longer was he this snarly beast. The public now looked at him as this cute teddy bear, this cuddly teddy bear, this, this wise grandfather. That's what he had become. And when he fought Holyfield April 91 and gave a great showing, that to me finally erased the ghost of, of Manila, of, of, not Miller, Manila, when he fought of Zaire. Of the Congo, but yeah. I mean, you could you you could say that his spiritual, you know, awakeness was helped along by getting his ego so bruised by one Muhammad Ali. You know, it's like well, he also talks about when he became a minister. After he became a minister, he had he had several children from he had six boys from two or three different women, and once he became a minister, he had, he, he he noticed that there were a lot of single mothers. And he was like, you know what, I'm a hypocrite if I'm talking to these women about not being a single about being a single mother and not doing right for their kids when I got kids all over here and I'm not raising them. So what he did was one of his um one one of his um one of his um his, his um ex wives had three of the kids in the Bahamas. And what he did was he went down to the Bahamas and he took control of custody of all three kids and he brought them back to Houston. He gathered all six of his children and from, from I believe, 1980 or 1981 to just a few years ago, they all stayed with George. Yeah. Hasn't, hasn't he got, like, three or four sons and they're all, like, George Juniors? It's like three or four George Juniors. He has five sons. They're all named George. And he has yeah. one daughter. Her name is Georgette. Yeah, incredible. And the incredible. George. <laughs> yeah. And okay, well, let's get back quickly now because we only have about 15 minutes left. So let's talk about um, the Ali fight with Spinks. Um, the fights with Spinks. Um, who is Leon? Hey, this is Leon, right? Leon Spinks. Yes. Let me yeah. give you yeah. a quick. We only got 15 minutes left, so let me give you a quick overview of Leon Spinks. Leon Spinks won the light heavyweight gold medal in the 1976 Summer Olympics in Montreal. And um, Leon Spinks was like a 7 or 8 to 1 underdog in this fight. No one gave him a shot. Matter of fact, in the fight before this, he had fought an eight-round draw with a journeyman who recently passed away named Scott LeDuc. No one gave Leon Spinks a chance. But Ali did not train for this fight. He was like 225 pounds for this fight. He took Leon Spinks for granted. 
Ali laid up against the ropes for the first eight rounds of this fight and did nothing. He just laid up against the ropes, and Spinks banged at him. The fact that Leon Spinks was 24 years old, in great condition, because this was his crack at the heavyweight title, he wasn't tiring. Ali, this back, the rope of dope backfired against Ali. Matter of fact, Georgie Benton, legendary trainer, who was Leon Spinks' trainer for this fight, says, we will prove tonight that it won't be the rope of dope, it will be a dope on the rope. And Ali gave away the first eight rounds. Starting with the ninth round, Ali started landing, and Ali gave a good showing up until the 15th round when he was completely exhausted, and Spinks clinched the deal by hurting Ali with a minute left, and Ali was up against the ropes before the fight ended. Had the fight gone another 30, 40 seconds, they might have stopped the fight. Ali was completely exhausted and hurt. Leonard Spinks won a split decision, shocking the world, one of the huge upsets in boxing history, winning the heavyweight championship of the world. Yeah. And it was the first time I ever cried after seeing a sporting event. You cry? I was, how old was I at the time? I was nine years old. The fight was on CBS in America, CBS Sports. Brett Musburger and Ferdy Pacheco called the fight. And when the fight ended, my, my father and I, we just sat there and we cried in each other's arms. Damn. Yeah, and the, and, and the uh, the subsequent rematch was the was the uh, was the first time that I, uh, as a as a young child, uh, saw Muhammad Ali uh, uh, in the ring. The uh, where Ali uh, regained the title and became the first man to win the uh, title three times. And so the the, the rematch um, was a you know kind of a, an important moment in uh, in, uh, in my life. Now, the, night, the, first, the first fight, Logan, the first fight, the fight that Spinks won, was yeah. voted the 1978 fight of the year. The second fight, Leon Spinks didn't train. Basically, Leon Spinks trained on cocaine and booze for the second fight. And Neon he, Leon. He, Neon Leon. He had, matter of fact, a month or two before the, the second fight, he was found handcuffed to his, um, to, to a, to his bed in a hotel, a hotel, yeah. but naked, and he had been robbed. I mean, he was in, he was in a he was in a he was in a fuzz, in a haze most leading up to the fight. During the fight, Georgie Benton, during the middle of the fight, he was a trainer, left the ring because there was guys in Leon's corner saying, "Leon, shake your ass, Leon, smile." And Georgie, what happened was he had all these guys that grew up with him in St. Louis. They became hangers on, and all they wanted was a piece of Leon, a piece of his money. They didn't give a fuck about Leon. Yeah. And uh, if you see Leon today, you'll see one of the reasons why. Well, let's talk about Leon for a second because he, I mean, in this fight. So are you are you saying that Muhammad Ali just was not really fighting how he usually fights, or what was he doing wrong in this fight? In the first fight, in the first fight, Ali laid up against yeah. the ropes for the first eight rounds. He did nothing. Ali was 225. He was fat and out of shape. He had no business being in that ring. Yeah, he was really, really not in the right. Um, I think he, he had he had he had problems with uh, problems with his uh, in his later, later on in his career. He really had problems with his with his weight, and you know he, he pretty much have to wear kind of sweatsuits and and things to to try and yeah. try and get down the weight because it, it, it'd be like two it'd be like 250. You know, in 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 at the he start. He was ballooned start. up to two fifty. He yeah. ballooned up to two fifty. He was ballooned up to two fifty 
they're going to get down to 225 because rumor, the rumor about Ali after he turned 35 was he had a fridge in his, in, in his bedroom and he would eat um, cupcakes and um, cakes, you know, real cakes, big cakes yeah. for breakfast. Yeah. Now, but what, are you guys saying that Leon Spinks wasn't that great? No. Leon Spinks, first of all, Leon Spinks was an undersized heavyweight. He should have fought at, at light heavyweight. He should have stayed at light heavyweight. He was, Leon Spinks was only like 203 pounds when he beat Ali the first time. Yeah, I mean, he, he was in his early 20s as well. I mean, Ali was like, what, 35, 36, and, and Spinks was like, what, 23, 24? You know, so you know he had quite a few years on 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 Ali, and he had that kind of youth, youthful exuberance in that first fight. But the uh, you know as soon as he won the title, you know the 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 months and and period after he won the title, you know he he uh, it all went to his head, and the, the fame and the notoriety that, that that went with being the the, the world champion, you know, kind of destroyed him. And uh, you know, and Ali was uh, motivated for the. Uh, for the rematch and, uh, and beat Spinks and, and Spinks, um, you know, career and, and, and life really went uh, really went downhill badly after the uh, after the after the loss. Leon Spinks was a perfect example. You know, it's funny. Leon too much and too Michael, soon. Leon and Michael, Leon and Michael, two brothers that grew up in the same St. Louis ghetto, both in poor poor conditions, abysmal conditions. Leon never never had any real money until he beat Ali. He didn't know how to deal with success. Yeah. Michael, when he got to that level, you for some reason was able to. Now this in this point in time, right now, 2011, Leon Spinks is destitute, while his brother Michael is still a millionaire. Yeah, he's a real real smart business guy, uh, um, uh, Michael Spinks. Yes. Yeah. You almost, yeah, almost couldn't. You almost wife. couldn't have two. Con, two. You know. You almost couldn't have two contrasting brothers. That you know. The um, sharp dressed Michael Spinks and and Leon Spinks. You know, like a neighborhood bum. <laughs> yeah, but Michael My, Michael Spinks is like, you know, the way he lost that fight to Tyson, just like that. That kind of killed his whole thing. No, um, no, no. That didn't. You know, Michael Spinks was one of the greatest fighters of his era. He was one of the greatest light heavyweight champions of all time. He was the first light heavyweight to go up and win the heavyweight title, to move up and win the heavyweight title. So many light heavyweights like Archie Moore and Bob Foster had failed. Michael Spinks succeeded when he defeated Larry Holmes. When he fought Mike Tyson, he was already done. That was just a paycheck. He yeah, knew he was going to lose. So when he went down, he said, I'm going to take the $15 million run. That didn't, that didn't ruin yeah, his career. He, 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 he looks really great scared fighter. of Tyson. You want to see yeah. Michael Spinks get some of his fights on YouTube? He was a great light heavyweight. He dominated the light heavyweight division. Yeah, the Michael, the Michael Spinks. That, yeah. The Michael Spinks that fought Tyson is, is is nothing like the Michael Spinks of the uh, of the uh, early eighties. I mean, th yeah. this guy was a, a great boxer, but you know, by the time he fought Tyson towards the end of the uh, end of the end of that decade, you know, you, you see Michael Spinks that fight, and uh, you know, one he seems uh, he, he seems you know frightened of Tyson, and, and two he just is sort of an air of him. You know, I'm just going to you know pick up the pick up the uh, the paycheck for this fight. Also, he had knee braces on both knees. You're not going into a fight with Mike Tyson with two knee braces. It was just a paycheck. Yeah, I see your point. Yeah, so he was. It was just a, uh, you know, another name for him to squash. A little for the Goldberg streak. But yeah. 
<laughs> so we have um, um, this fight, um, which it, okay. So you can you could blame it on Ali. Like if he had been in shape, would he have just run over this guy? He would have beaten Michael Spinks had been in shape. I mean, Leon Spinks had beat, had he been in shape, I believe. Because Leon, I mean, yeah, Leon, Leon was very inexperienced. Ali gave away that first fight. In the second fight, Ali moved and danced for 15 rounds, and he easily won. And I, the second fight, I gave Ali 12 rounds. He easily won that fight because he moved. And this is the shell of Ali. This is not the Ali that you saw against Norton and, and, and Frazier and Foreman. This is Ali at the end, the totally end. On running E on the gas tank, and he still was able to easily defeat. Yeah, it's very, very one-sided, the rematch. Very one-sided. Now, what fight do you think, out of all the ones we've talked to, talked about so far, do you think that uh, Muhammad Ali took the most damage from? The thrill, Manila. Yeah, the oh, third okay. Fraser fight. Yeah. And then the Larry, I mean, he always... the Larry O fight was, I think, was like, was like, if he was. If he was already sick, that pushed him over the edge. The Larios fight, which he had no business fighting. Yeah. So okay, so now the fight, now what happened? Um, okay, after the, Ali uh, beats Spinks, after Ali yeah. beats Spinks, he retires as the heavyweight champion of the world. Okay. Two years later, Don King goes him out of retirement, offering ten million dollars to fight Larry Holmes in Las Vegas, October second, nineteen eighty. Ali takes the money. And Ali is like 270, 280s, woefully out of shape. So he starts taking thyroid medication, and he loses 60 pounds. When Ali fights Larry Holmes, he's 217 at the weigh-in. People are shocked. This is the lightest Ali's been in years. People were fooled. They thought Ali was in great fighting shape. No, 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 no. Ali was past his prime, and he took that thyroid medication, which did more damage than helped him. The fight against Larry Holmes, if you watch it, it's, it's a tragedy unto itself. From the very beginning, it's like Larry Holmes is fighting an 80-year-old man. It, it, it's criminal to watch that fight. It's hard to watch. Ali took a brutal beating. At the time, I was 12 years old. I was at the Puerto Rico Theater in the South Bronx watching the fight in close circuit with my father. We sat there, and we were just speechless watching his beating. Yeah. Yeah, I remember watching. I remember watching that fight as a, as a young boy, and 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 just 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 saying to my father, "What you know? Why don't they? Why don't they stop? Why don't they stop this fight? You know what? I mean, we we already knew you know what the what the result was, but in in hindsight, you're watching it and, and you're saying, hey, you know, the the fight in, in this day and age, the fight would have been stopped, um, you know, quite early. But the, the, back then, they were kind of loath to, to stop fights. But it, it's just a uh, one-sided." You know, slaughter is very uncomfortable to watch. Well, and finally, yeah, after the tough round, Dundee finally throws a towel, and even though Ali's manager, Herbert Muhammad, was like, no, no, let us continue, let us continue. The re if you watch the fight, the referee is intervening in arguments between Dundee and Herbert Muhammad. The, ref the referee's like, well, is he going to fight or is he going to stop? And Dundee puts his foot down and says, look, I'm the chief second, fight is over. Yeah. Well, the thing about okay, now let's just talk about Larry Holmes. At this point, he's a a hungry, good motherfucking fighter. No, he's a hungry, I mean, he's, great motherfucking fighter. Larry yeah. Holmes, like Mark Rizzo said in the first Ali uh, show, was one of the most underrated fighters in the history of the sport. Larry Holmes was a great fighter whose biggest, biggest, biggest problem 
was that he was in Ali's footsteps. And this didn't help him because the Ali he beat was a shell of a, was a shell of a shell of a shell. Yeah. Well, this is like uh, this. I mean, I guess you could you could say that Rocky Six might have taken something from this, where it's like, you know, Mason Dixon. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, Rocky Six is based on George Foreman. Oh, oh yes. well, well, you know, it takes from takes from both probably because like here we have this great new champ that always is in the shadow of the old champ. Yes. And yes, wants yes. and wants to fight him. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I didn't think about that, Logan. Good point. You know, and 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 in a way, he wants to finally prove, but he's not proven shit. But let's just say they they did fight in their primes. How would this go? If the if the Muhammad Ali of nineteen sixty seven fought the Larry Holmes of nineteen seventy nine, yeah. it would be a tough fight. But Ali, I would say Ali wins a, a, a decision. Ali wins a decision. Yeah, Ali would just just squeeze. I don't body. see him knocking yeah. out Holmes. I see him winning a fifty round decision. Larry yeah. Holmes. Had as much heart as Muhammad Ali. Larry Holmes had a lot of heart. If, well, if we ever get a chance to talk about Larry Holmes, his fights against Ernie Shavers and Ronaldo Spikes, where he gets hit with right hand bombs, and he's out on the seat, he gets up, and he, and he gets to knock both guys out. Larry Holmes was a great fighter. He especially now um, his that was kind of his uh, peak around that time, right? I mean, like yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but he went on and he fought. He, didn't he even fought Tyson? Yeah, but when he right? fought Tyson, he hadn't fought in three years. Uh, that, it's amazing. Tyson, that, that was basically a repeat of Ali fighting home. It's the yeah. whole chance it, coming back to suffer beating. It, to me, but, it was just amazing that the guy, a guy who fought Muhammad Ali would fight Tyson. You know, it's just it's crazy. I mean, like, you know what? There are brief moments in that fight where he was good. Hold on, one at a time. Go ahead, uh, Mark Grant. Go ahead, Mark Grant. Yeah, there the, the, the are brief moments in the in the uh, in, in the Holmes uh, Tyson fight where you know that it's uh, you know you really see shades of, of of Holmes Prime. There's a you know one point in the Tyson fight where he comes out and he he kind of does an Ali shuffle and he peppers Tyson with with some jabs and you know the 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 announcers uh, you know start popping for what's going on but you know uh, a couple of minutes later Tyson's taking his head off and, and and ending the fight but you know there were brief moments in it where we did see flashes of the old um the old Larry Holmes and the Larry yeah. Holmes of 1980 would have beaten any version of Mike Tyson. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so you don't rank Mike Tyson up there among the top top ten? All right, I'm gonna give you my top ten heavyweights. I think of all he just makes it. Yeah. I, I'm gonna give you my top ten heavyweights of all time. Okay. Ali one, Joe Lewis two, Jack Johnson three, uh, Jack Dempsey four, Rocky Marciano five, Lennox Lewis six, George Foreman seven, Joe Frazier eighth, Mike Tyson nine. Yeah. And ten. Oh, I think that's about right. Yeah. Would you agree with that, Mark Ren? Yeah, I think that's yeah. Without without really uh, kind of thinking too hard about it, I think it's uh, it's difficult to uh, to disagree with that list. I think that's I think you pretty much got it spot on there. So who, wait, so who's at the top? Ali one, Joe Lewis two, Jack Johnson three. Ali one, huh? Uh, you know, a lot oh. of people would a lot of people would disagree with that. You know, um, but you know, the, it's a it's a it's a controversial thing because I don't, you know, I don't, I don't see the contro- I don't see the controversy. If you look at Joe Lewis's career versus Muhammad Ali's career, the guys Joe Lewis had problems with, Tommy Farr, 
uh, Billy Khan, they had similar styles to Ali, but they were smaller versions of Ali. You put a six foot three, two hundred and fifteen pound, nineteen sixty seven Muhammad Ali against the Joe Lewis that knocked out Max Mellon, Ali and the and the punch Ali could take, I see Ali winning a very tough fifteen round decision over Joe Lewis. And Ali beat much better fighters than Joe Lewis. If you look at their careers, Joe Lewis beat a lot of washed up old men like Max Mellon, like Max Bear. All right? Jersey Joe Walcott was almost 40 when he beat Jersey Joe Walcott, right? Mm-hmm. Ali, Ali beat Sonny Liston. Look at the fighters Ali beat. Sonny Liston, George Foreman, Joe Frazier, Ken Norton, all in their prime. Yeah. Not one of those fighters was that Joe Lewis ever beat on that type of level. And I love Joe Lewis. Yeah. We need to do a show on Joe Lewis. Yeah, okay, well, okay. Before we go, though, i got to get you guys to comment on Pacquiao. Or maybe you haven't seen it. Pacquiao versus um, Marquez. Who do you think won that fight? I, I had to fight dead even six rounds apiece. <laughs> and I, I, had, you get... I had Marquez just, just ahead by by a, a round. But, I mean, oh. it, it, it could have it it gone, e- gone either way. It's a very tough fight to score. Yeah, it is a very tough fight, yeah. Now, what does it does it tell you that just Marquez like went in there and stepped his dick up like major, or is Pacquiao slipping? It's a combination of both. It's a combination yeah, of three things. Yeah. It's a combination of three things. Pacquiao, like he sold Joe in the Shane Mosley fight, is not the same Pacquiao. He's lost. He, I think he's a bit past his prime. Second, Marquez, like Ken Norton to Muhammad Ali, has the perfect style to give Pacquiao problems. Yeah. Right? Just like Ken Norton gave Ali problems in three fights, Marquez is giving Pacquiao problems in three fights. Marquez is just a tough and Marquez is thirty eight. All right? And he's not in his prime. Marquez is past his prime. That's why, if you notice now, Logan, Bob Arum isn't quick to make a Mayweather fight. He now he wants one? No. No, now he's talking about oh no, Marquez deserves a rematch. We we, oh. we, we 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 couldn't fight Mayweather right now. Let's give Marquez a full fight. I don't want to see that. No, me neither. I mean, I mean, it's a good fight, but it's like we've seen it now three times. Yeah, it, it's it's like it's like Godfather Four. We don't we see one, two, or three. We don't need to see four. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be the same kind of fight, and yeah. but but the thing is, is um, you could see how. A legitimate score could be that Pacquiao won. It wasn't a fucking robbery, right? No, it wasn't a robbery. That fight could have gone either way. There were several rounds, and if you look at the judges' scorecards, there was like four or five rounds that they differed on. It wasn't like a fight where there was a clear-cut winner in every round. There was at least three or four rounds that it could have gone either way, depending on how you score a fight. Uh, yeah. We'll watch the HBO version tonight. I would really like to see how Letterman's scorecard because... Each judge has a different way of, of judging a fight. It's very subjective. Yeah. Well, that's. I guess you'll be able to watch that fight for free tonight on HBO. Uh, they'll probably be showing it, won't they? Yeah, those ones, they're showing that tonight, yeah. Yeah, so people can judge for themselves who didn't feel like buying the pay-per-view. Uh, and it does, does this make Mayweather want to have this fight more? But, you know, in Logan, two weeks ago, before the fight happened, 
Mayweather said he was setting May 5th open for a fight with Pacquiao. No matter what, the testing, or is he still getting with this testing shit? He didn't mention anything about the testing. He said May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, he wants to fight Manny Pacquiao in Vegas. He put that on the table two weeks ago, before the fight even happened, before the Barclays fight even happened. Okay, so that's let's hope this thing comes together, man. Now, that could be something that could be as big as Thriller in Manila, no? If, if or as Rumble. Have, well, it'll, it'll be huge. It'll be huge. Not, yeah, not it will be it'll there. be as big as Thriller in Manila, but it'll be huge. It'll be the biggest It'll be the biggest fight since Tyson versus Lennox Lewis. It'll probably be the biggest fight worldwide since Lennox Lewis versus Mike Tyson. Yeah, I agree with Are that. Are you going to yeah. put money on it? What happened? Are you going to put money on it? If, 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 uh, if I owned a house... I'd put the house on Mayweather. Yeah. <laughs> Mayweather oh, on points, I think, just yet. Yeah. I think Pacquiao's got too many... Pacquiao's got too many distractions outside of the ring. I mean, he's got these, the whole congressman thing and the, the the movie and singing and all the things that he does for, for his country. I think he's got too too many distractions. If he can take... You know, if he can eliminate those distractions and... and and concentrate 100% on, on on Mayweather, then you know he can win the fight. But with all these other dis- distractions that, that that are going on, you know if your head's not in the game, you, you know you're going to lose the fight. Yeah, I agree so you with think- you, Mark. When you make a great point. Also, not only that, he supports so many people in his country. If you ever watch 24/7, all those people from the Philippines are in his camp. He pays all those people. He supports a lot of people. He's, he's a congressman, like you mentioned. He has a singing career. He's in movies. And not only that, months leading up to the fight, if they do fight, Mayweather will be bad enough for them 24-7. And he has to deal with that distraction as well. Because no matter how peaceful he is, and he's a very humble man, Manny Pacquiao, it's got to bother him once Mayweather starts ripping into him. And you know well, Mayweather's Mayweather. going things about his wife and stuff. That's whole that, that's Mayweather's game plan. He does that to everybody. That's why I mean, yeah. yes, it's part of his thing. I mean, he's got to know that unless he's an idiot. I mean, he's got to know that. Oh that's no, Manny part of knows it. that. But Manny in the past has come out. I mean, Manny even sued Mayweather for libel for libel statements. I mean, no boxer does that. That I mean, you could tell that Manny has been bothered by things Floyd said in the past. Well, and also, really but said about the steroid thing as well. Yeah, but that was a good. That was a good move by Pacquiao because guess what? Now the fucker's not talking about it. You know? So he's finally got off it. Yeah, Maybe. well, I, it, it, it also helps that Manny showed slippage his last two fights. Well, that maybe you know maybe he's playing maybe he's playing possum. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we'll, we'll I, I see. That rather seriously. <laughs> Uh, Mayweather is such a great um, defensive fighter and uh, and a counter puncher, so it would be the it would be one, a great fight. Or you know that would be it would be funny if it was a very boring fight. You know that would be, but I doubt it, it would, would be. be fun, it would be funny if Manny all of a sudden stops throwing punches and he just watches Mayweather and it turns into a usual Mayweather ball fest. Oh, oh, Manny would never he would look he could never live that down. <laughs> Well, hopefully Pacquiao can get his head together, man, because I want the best Pacquiao to fight the best Mayweather. And we're if we don't get this fight happening in the next year or two, then it's, it's no, going to be... It's got to happen by next year, because yeah. already Pacquiao's showing slippage. If it happens in 13, 14, it's not going to mean the same. It's got to happen in 12. Got it. 
Thanks yeah. again, you guys, man. Thanks. This is a you know we're gonna go back to looking at great fights, and I'll I'll you can PM me uh, what you want to look PM at. I'm gonna PM you with uh, the next two fights. We'll talk about next week. I guess six o'clock. Yeah, six o'clock. Mark Grant, I want to thank you, man, for taking the time to get into uh, Muhammad no Ali. It's been a pleasure uh, in depth, and uh, we'll we'll next time we. Uh, do something, you know, retrospective that you're interested in, please feel free to hop on. And, yeah, uh, and, and any of the fights. Mark Ray, Mark Ray, how would you like around, you know, we're in November now, December, January, if whenever you're, you're free on a, on a Saturday, same time, to do a retrospective on Joe Lewis. I really would love to do that with you because I know in Great Britain, Joe Lewis is regarded as an icon, as, as a huge icon. And I know you'd bring so much to the table talking about Joe Lewis. Yeah, I'd I'd love to do a I'd love to do a show on on uh, on, on Joe Lewis. Um, yeah, that, I think that'd be a, that'd be a great idea. Yeah, and also down the road past that, we should try to do Marciano too because that's another guy who. Yeah, and we and Sugar Ray as well because I know Mark Ray is a huge fan of Sugar Ray. Oh, yeah. of course, being the from the eighties. <laughs> and uh, who else? Who else in the eighties? Um, well, well Tyson. Had, who? Mike Michael Spinks, Mike Tyson, Tyson uh, Larry Holmes, Marvin Hagel, well, Mike Tyson, Tommy Hearns. Duran. N- the 1980s was probably the greatest era in boxing history. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, there's some really great fighters. So, so, uh, and I know anything 80s, Mark Wren is on board for. So uh, yeah. we'll uh, we'll look we'll we'll have a lot. There's there's no shortage of there may, might not be shit going on in boxing, you know, now. But there's but, no shortage of classic fights. That's it right there. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Mark Wren. Thank you, Juan Silva. We'll talk to you again next week. Peace. Peace. Good night, people. Peace.